0: What beautiful descriptions of nature. I'm Roger and this is Bookshook and today's podcast is all about the first half of Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. So the idea of the podcast is that we'll read a book together each month, halfway through the month. I'll share my thoughts and yours on the first half of the book, maybe make a few predictions. And then at the end of the month, when the book is done, we'll decide whether it's a book we'd recommend to a friend or not. Of course, you don't have to read anything at all. If you're into Audible, then you can listen to the book. Or you can do neither, of course, and just join me for the ride. I'll be summarising what happens in the book just for you. But beware, there may be spoilers. Welcome to Bookshook. So I've read up to um, chapter 26 called The Boat Ashore. Um, What a fantastic novel so far. I'm really enjoying it. So I'm just going to go through up to the middle of the book and just going to talk about some things that have have cropped up. So basically uh, it starts off the book uh, Two Boys uh, Discover a Dead Body and this is Chase Andrews in 1969. And then we go back um, 17 years to 1952 and we meet Kaya who's 6 years old and she's watching her mum leave she lives with her mum and her dad and her four older siblings and her brother Jody, who's thirteen, so quite a bit older than her, consoles her and he says, Don't worry, she will come back. And the marsh where she lives is a very, very inhospitable place. Poor Kaya, I, I really hope her mum returns. <laughs> it's we've got this wonderful evocation at the beginning of this this marsh and maybe it was a mean country, but not an inch was lean, um, is one of the quotes right in the, the very first chapter. Um The family is truly broken up. Quote, The two older sisters cooked a supper of red beans and cornbread, but no one sat to eat at the table as they would have with Ma. Each dipped beans from the pot, flopped cornbread on top and wandered off to eat on their floor mattresses or the faded sofa. That's just such a a tragic um, quote about this this family that is broken up. So Pa had been violent to Ma and... uh, she, she doesn't return. And then Jodie leaves, and then Kaya is all alone. But then her father does return eventually and burns all of her mother's things. Kaya has to do all the jobs around the shack. She has to do the shopping. She goes to the village of Barclay Cove. And where, when she does go there, she's referred to as swamp of trash. There's a very derogatory term that's used for the people that live in the swamp. And she celebrates her birthday alone. Then we fast forward to uh, back to 1969, and we've got Steve and Benji, who they, they discover Chase's body. An inspector and the doctor are surprised by the lack of footprints when they go to the crime scene. And it seems yeah, that someone may have fallen off this, this very high um, fire tower in the swamp. And then we go back to when Kaya's young. There's a lady called Mrs Culpepper who fetches Kaya for school, but she hates school. She has a terrible time. So she runs uh, from the Culpepper's car when it appears at home the next day. And she says to herself, I'll educate myself. And there's a lovely quote where she explains how she's going to do this. I can already coo like a dove, she told herself, and lots better than them, even with all their fine shoes. She went to school and she didn't have any shoes and all the other people sort of laughed at her. Kaya steps on a nail and she treats her wound herself. She sort of treats her wound with um, mud from the swamp. Pa drinks and gambles. He's an absent father, he doesn't help her at all. And she listens each morning for her mother, but ultimately, quote, the marsh became her mother. And then we fast-forward again to the murder scene. Chase's body is retrieved. The officers investigate the tire, and they discover there's an open grate, so they speculate on the cause. Either they jump to conclusions here that either there's womanising, so there's a jealous husband perhaps, or perhaps the person was in debt, but they don't mention suicide, which is interesting. We jump back to Kaya a few years earlier. So Pa goes away for a few days to try to claim some military compensation for his injuries, and then Kaya steals his boat, and she drives by aboard fishing called Tate and she becomes really lost but this Tate boy rescues her uh, there's a storm coming and then the point of view in the story changes to Tate and uh, we see him helping his father who's a fisherman called Scupper and he's unloading the catch with him and the relationship between the father and son is so different to that of Kaya and her father they discuss poetry and he explains how important it is to behave correctly and then um, Mrs Singletree, who's, uh, who runs one of the shops, shows an interest in Kaya. She keeps asking questions, and Kaya feels like she has to cover up. She's worried she's going to be uh, taken by the authorities, of the school or, or something like that. Well, someone will find out that she's in a bit of a predicament. She doesn't want that to happen. She replenishes the gas in her boat, and then Pa returns. And he's thankful for the, the food that Kaya's cooked for her, and she asks him to go fishing. He seems to be in a very good mood, and he agrees, and uh, she says she has, quote, a little shredder family. And the relationship with Pa does improve, and he gives her his World War II knapsack. "Quote: We weren't always poor," and he explains how his, his Pa's grandmother, or his grandmother, sorry, wore "quote rich bonnets." So they 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 originally uh, came from this place called Asheville, which was quite a quite a rich area. Let me just find a quote. Kaya and Pa cast some more their lines swishing over soft yellow pollen, floating on the still water. And she thought that she was the end of it, but he added, ''Someday I'll take you to Asheville. Should have been yours.'' Then we go back to the crime scene. There's no fingerprints, data of any, any type at the tower. The officers have decided rather rashly that it is murder, and rumours abound. It may have been Lamar, um, who was jealous when he discovered Chase with his wife. But no-one really knows. And we go back to Kaya again. Pa takes Kaya to a restaurant, um, and the community thinks she's dirty. Couldn't you read the sign that um, you have to have shoes and and dress well? And we find out that Pa used to beat um, Kaya. A quote, drink, shout, hit. And then Ma sends them a letter, but Pa burns it. And in in outrage, he's disgusted that she's sent any kind of letter. But Kaya wishes she hadn't shown it. Pa leaves for many days, probably for good uh, Kaya's very hungry so she considers giving herself up to the authorities um, but there's a lot of reasons that that she, she doesn't want to do that um, quote, but after thinking a minute she said no I can't leave the gulls, the heron, the shack the marshes, all the family I got Kaya sells mussels uh, to to a character called Jumpin for money and gas and, and that feels good she, she's happy to do that Car now turns 15, and she's, her power is still gone, and she explores the marsh. She, she fingers uh, the one remaining dress, the sort of symbol of her mother. Quote, One evening, Kaya slipped the pink and green flowery sundress, the one Ma had worn to church from the wire hanger. For years now, she had fingered this beauty, the only dress Pa didn't burn. Kaya pulled the dress over her head, down her thin frame. The hem came almost to her toes. That wouldn't do. She pulled it off, hung it up to wait for another few years. It'd be a shame to cut up, wear it to dig muscles it's a real symbol of her motherless dress so later on she sees a group of children playing and she thinks to herself how do I get into that group she brings muscles for jumping, but he already has his quota so she tries to sell him some smoked fish and he takes them feeling sorry for her and he speaks to his wife Mabel this is jumping. quote Lord we've got to do something about that child and Mabel um, thinks about some charity perhaps because she's a churchgoer Now, Kaya, whilst gardening, she finds a hair brooch of her mother's. And, and again, this is a a really... These symbols of her mother, the dress, the brooch, become very important to her throughout the novel. Quote... She swiped it gently against her overalls until all the grit fell clear, as if reflected in the cheap artefact of red mouth and dark eyes were clearer than they had been in years. Kyle looked around. Surely Ma was walking up the lane, even now, come to help turn this earth finally home. Such stillness was rare, even the crows were quiet, and she could hear her own breathing. A boy sees Kaya in the woods and leaves a sign for her. It's a heron feather in a tree uh, stump. And then... There's a tropic bird feather that's left. Kaya has this knowledge of nature and and amazing um, artistic talents that are, are burgeoning. Quote, the next morning, Kai wanted to rush to the stump to see if another one had been left, but she made herself wait. She must not run into the boy. Finally, in late morning, she walked to the clearing, approaching slowly, listening. She didn't hear or see anybody, so she stepped forward, and a rare brief smile lit her face when she saw a thin white feather stuck into the top of the stump. It reached from her fingertips to her elbow and curved gracefully to a slender point. She lifted it and laughed out loud. A magnificent tail feather of a tropic bird. She'd never seen these seabirds because they didn't occur in this region but on rare occasions they were blown over land on hurricane wings. Kaya's heart filled with wonder that someone had such a collection of rare feathers that he could spare this one. Since she couldn't read Ma's old guidebook she didn't know the names for most of the birds or insects so made up her own and even though she could write Kaya had found a way to label her specimens. Her talents had matured and now she could draw, paint and sketch anything using chalks or watercolours. From the five and dime she'd sketched the birds, Insects or shells on grocery bags and attached them to her samples. That night she splurged and lit two candles and set them in saucers on the kitchen tables, so she could see all the colors of the white, so she could paint the tropic bird feather. Her artistic skills are really coming on, and her knowledge of nature and her love of nature is, is really shown. I think in that passage. She's taunted by a group of boys later that call her uh, Miss Missing Link. And then we jump forward to um, the murder scene. Uh, they find some uh, woolly fibres discovered on Chase Andrews' jacket. And and Tate is revealed to be the narrator, to be the feather boy in this chapter. In, in this chapter's great because she also talks about how, how Mara is well, she doesn't talk about how Mara is a hypocrite but it's quite clear that she is a bit, of a bit of a hypocrite. If I read the following passage, they climbed into the old skiff still cavorting like they were tipsy it took a few pulls to get the outboard cranked, but finally it jumped to and off they went, Mara steering across the lagoon and into the narrow channel that led to the marsh. They breezed along the waterways, but Mara didn't know all that much about it, and when they went into a shallow lagoon, they got stuck in gummy black mud, thick as tulle. They pulled this way and that, but couldn't budge. There was nothing left to do but climb over the side, skirts and all, sinking in the muck up to their knees. Ma hollering, "Now don't go! Uh, now don't turn it over, girls! Don't turn it over!" They hauled on the boat until it was free, squealing at one another's muddy faces. It took some doing to get back in, flopping over the side like so many landed fish. And instead of sitting on the seats, the four of them squinched up on the bottom of the boat, all in a line, holding their feet to the sky, wiggling their toes, their pink nails gleaming through the mud. Lying there, Ma said, You all listen now. This is a real lesson in life. Yes, we got stuck, but what do we girls do? We made it fun. We laughed. That's what sisters and girlfriends are all about sticking together even in the mud, especially in the mud. Ma hadn't bought any polish remover, so when it began to peel and chip, they had faded, patchy pink nails on all their fingers and toes, reminding them of the good time they'd had and that real life lesson. Looking at the old bottle, Kaya tried to see her sisters' faces and said out loud, Where are you now, Ma? Why didn't you stick? Yeah, her mother left her. I should just mention that a spark plug, very sweetly, Tate, um, who's revealed to be this feather boy leaving the feathers, um, leaves a spark plug for her engine, which I think is very, very sweet. Um, so Tate returns the narrative um, just at the point when I was like, "Where is Tate and Scupper?" He, he appears as the Feather Boy, of of course. <laughs> I kind of thought that the, the the person leaving feathers may have been some kind of red herring. Anyway, carrying on, Kaya sees the boys racially abusing jump in and she whacks them with some jam jars. She's, she's very angry, and, she, and then once she's done that, she runs away. And uh, Tate. Teaches her how to read. He teaches her to count. She discovers the names of her siblings in the family Bible, and she and, and then we hear a history of the parents and how her father was injured in war. And it, and we, as the reader, hear about the secret guilt of his cowardice. But no other character seems to know about that and also the impact of the depression on the family and how they lost so much. We have Jumpin telling her about the social services were looking for her. Quote, Jumpin said the social services are looking for me. I'm scared they'll pull me in like a trout, put me in a foster home or something. Well, we better hide way out there where the crawdads sing. I pity any foster parent who take you on. Tate's whole face smart. That's Tate talking. "'What do you mean?' says Kaya. "'Where the crawdads sing.' "'Ma used to say that.' "'Kaya remembered Ma always encouraging her to explore the marsh. "'Go as far as you can, way out yonder where the crawdads sing.' "'And Tate says, "'Just means far in the bush where critters are wild, "'still behaving like critters.' "'So they carry on the lessons.' Um, in this shack that Tate's found, quote, For the rest of the summer, Kaya and Tate did the reading lessons at the Tumble Down Cabin. By mid-August, they had read through a Sand County almanac, and although she couldn't read every word, she got most of it. Alder Leopold that's the author, taught her that floodplains are living extensions of the rivers, which will claim them back any time they choose. Anyone living on a floodplain is just waiting in the river's wings. She learned where the geese go in winter, and the meaning of their music. His soft words, sounding almost like poetry, taught her that soil is packed with life, and one of the most precious riches on earth, that draining wetlands dries the land for miles beyond, killing plants and animals along with the water. Some of the seeds lie dormant in the desiccated earth for decades, waiting and when the water finally comes home again they burst through the soil unfolding their faces wonders and real life knowledge should have never learned in school truths everyone should know yet somehow even though they lay exposed all around seem to lie in secret like the seeds i love that last sentence truths everyone should know yet somehow even though they lay exposed all around seem to lie in secret like the seeds i've been doing a lot of bird watching recently there's a nature reserve nearby and there's some incredible birds which i haven't really i've I've run around it so many times but i haven't really stopped to have a look at the birds and when i when i did or when i have been in the last few weeks it's just incredible the the variety and the colors and sometimes you just just don't notice things until you kind of think right i'm gonna i'm gonna look okay um so they share some poetry because um, tate has been taught by his father about poetry and Tate brings her um some books from school some biology books and he actually helps Kaya identify her first period and she goes to get help from Mabel and we learn that they lost a child Daisy again no one else is told just us the reader I guess it was it's called dramatic irony isn't it where where you kind of the reader knows something but the the characters don't there's a lot of that in this book and we'll look at that later maybe uh, tate brings her a cake and kaya says look why do you why do you like me and then tate really shows his feelings for kaya at this point point. and there's a really nice quote here quote he didn't mention how he felt sorry for her being alone, that he knew how the kids had treated her for years, how the villagers called her the Marsh Girl and made up stories about her sneaking out to her shack or running through the dark and tagging it, he goes on. But that wasn't the main reason he'd left feathers for Kaia in the forest or why he kept coming to see her. The other words Tate didn't say were his feelings for her that seemed tangled up between the sweet love for a lost sister and the fiery love for a girl. He couldn't come close to sorting out himself, but he'd never been hit by a stronger wave, a power of emotions as painful as pleasurable. So he's lost um, some people as well in his life. He's lost a sister and a mother in in a car accident, actually, and he feels guilt for both of them because they were travelling to buy his present and that's how the accident happened. So he says, ''I think they went to Asheville to buy my birthday present. There was this certain bike I wanted, had to have it. The Western Auto didn't carry them, so I think they went to Asheville to buy that bike for me.'' ''That doesn't make it your fault.'' ''I know, but it feels like my fault,'' Tate said. ''I don't even remember what kind of bike it was.'' um and Kaya says you know you can't you shouldn't feel guilty and then the kiss And there's a lovely description of some sycamore leaves. Just at that second, the wind picked up. A thousand upon thousands of yellow sycamore leaves broke from their life support and streamed across the sky. Autumn leaves don't fall, they fly. They take their time and wander on this, their only chance to soar. Reflecting sunlight, they swirled and sailed and fluttered on the wind drafts. Tate sprang from the log and called to her, see how many leaves you can catch before they hit the ground. Kaya jumped up, and the two of them leapt and skipped through curtains of falling. Leaves reaching their arms wide, snatching them before they fell to earth, laughing. Tate dived towards a leaf only inches from the ground, caught it and rolled over, holding his trophy in the air. Car threw her hands up, releasing all the leaves she had rescued back into the wind. As she ran back through them, they caught like gold in her hair. Then, as she whirled around, she bumped into Tate, who had stood, and they froze, staring into each other's eyes. And then, yeah, they kiss after that. Uh, I love this idea of them trying to catch these leaves. I do that with my kids, and it's, it's just a really fun thing to do. So this is one of the many examples of Beautiful descriptions of nature. And I've been reflecting on how Kaya hasn't now seen her path for four years. So it really makes sense now that sort of incongruous trip to the restaurant. It would seem to be a farewell meal, I think. So carrying on, uh, Tate discovers it's her birthday from the Bible and gives Kaya a cake and some presents. And Scupper warns Tate about, unquote, that girl in the marsh... And he goes on to say, look, don't be starting a family. And Tate berates his father. Quote, she's more pure and innocent than any of those girls who you'd have me go to the dance with. Anyway, Tate continues to give um, Kaya some books, some on biology. There's There's a lovely quote. Within all the worlds of biology, she searched for an explanation of why a mother would leave her offspring. She's looking for answers in biology and in the nature Around her, so they celebrate Christmas together. He gives um, Webster's Dictionary with Nature in the pages, so some uh, feathers and all sorts of things. It's a really beautiful present, and they get intimate. But the but Tate protects her from making love in case she gets pregnant. And Tate says goodbye. He's going to do marine biology at college. She's uh, pretty unhappy about that, to say the least. Anyway, we go forward um, to look at the investigation. The police have got some info from, quote, the guys at the Dog Gone, that Chase had dealings with someone in the swamp. And so they conclude that one, is either drugs, or two, it's a woman. And they mention that there's going to be a shell necklace being brought over by mum. And then we go back. At this point I'm thinking maybe Chase was killed by Kaya in self defence. Or maybe Chase was killed by Tate in protection of Kaya. So she wants to hear Tate's boat but she doesn't hear it. He's gone off to college and she's she's heartbroken, she really is. But nature consoles her. And now Kaya is nineteen. Um, she sees this character called Chase Andrews and she decides that she quite likes him. He's uh, with on the beach with, with all his friends. Uh, Chase invites her on a boat trip and she reflects on how Tate could have any woman. Um, and then Tate visits her. He creeps up on her, but he decides at the last minute not to reveal himself. And there's a lovely quote where he reflects on her intricate knowledge of nature... And he uses this wonderful word, essence. Barefoot, dressed in cut-off jeans and a white T-shirt, she stood up, stretching her arms high, showcasing her wasp-thin waist. She knelt again and scooped sand in her hands, sifting it through her fingers, examining organisms left squiggling in her palm. He smiled at the young biologist, absorbed, oblivious. He imagined her standing at the back of the birding group, trying not to be noticed but being the first to spot and identify every bird. Shyly and softly, she would have listed the precise species of grasses woven into each nest, or the age and days of a female fledgling based on the emerging colors of her wingtips—exquisite minutiae beyond any guidebook or knowledge of the esteemed ecology group—the smallest specifics on which a species spins, the essence. Tate decides that Kai is not for him, and he leaves without seeing her. And. He basically he doesn't want her world. Quote, he'd been at college less than two months but had already stepped directly into the world he wanted, analysing the stunning symmetry of the DNA molecule as if he'd crawled inside a glistening cathedral of coiling atoms and climbed the winding acidic rungs of the helix. Going on. Kaya's mind could easily live there, but she could not. Kaya, Kaya, I just can't do this, he whispered. I'm sorry. And then he retreats. Anyway, Chase takes Kaya to a remote beach and now I'm thinking about the shell. He gives her a shell, saying, you're the shell girl. I had a feeling at the end of chapter 19 that the shell necklace may have been Kaya related. Uh, And Chase makes a move. Um, He comes on quite strongly, but she resists him. And I can see why he's called Chase now. (laughs) Because he is literally chasing her. And Tate, this is far-fetched, but sounds grounded, I think. Potato, Tate, solid, grounded, reliable sort. Anyway, Chase apologises, and he says to her, look, come to the fire tower. And Kai gives him a shell necklace on the top of the fire tower. And Chase then wants to visit her shack. So she's a bit shy of showing her the, the shack, but he's absolutely smitten by by her. And uh, he, he really enjoys going over to her shack. Um, we're going forward to 1969. Patty, the mother of Chase... Um, tells the police look, he was wearing the shell necklace given to him by this Marsh trash before he got married but it wasn't around his neck at the coroner's so something's happened before he got killed he was wearing this necklace she carries on saying that he broke off their relationship and married Pearl and Patty suspects that they're continuing an affair so my question is like was he wearing the necklace just before he got killed like she says um because it seems like Kaya is gonna get accused of this. So the police go to the tower and they can't find any necklace, and then they go to Kaya's shack, and that's where we leave it now. So very exciting first half of the book. Major questions I've got are, did Kaya kill Chase? Um, I don't think she did. It may have been Pearl if he was still having an affair, maybe it may have been Tate, but he doesn't I don't think he really has it in him. And suicide is also a possibility. Um, He may have been unhappily married. Another question, will Kaya find love? I really hope she will. I think she will by the end of the novel. Will Kaya's mother return? Again, I hope so. Um, They have a lot to sort out. And also, will Pa and her brothers and sisters, are they going to make any kind of reunion? But it's not looking likely, I think. Uh, Hopefully Ma will return, but Pa and the brothers and sisters, I'm not sure. Who has the shell necklace, then? There is a clue. Kaya said she liked it but she may have taken it from him many days before the murder if it was murder the narrator says quote she'd strung the shell on the war hide the night before thinking to herself she would wear it but knowing all along she hoped to see chase again and would give it to him if she had the chance so there's a kind of small clue that that she likes the the necklace though so it's possible that she has the necklace Anyway, there's a few themes that have come up. Um, well, a lot of themes and interesting ideas have come up in this first half, and I have wanted to share them with you and see, see if you agree, see what you think. So the first one, I guess, is... Um, Life and death and the, the unfeeliness of death. So for example, when Chase's body is discovered for the first time, the quote The crows had flown off when the track came, but other birds and insects word above, insolent life thrumming on. That's on page twenty four. On page twenty-five, this is Chase. Now he sprawled alone, less dignified than slough. Death's crude pluck as always stealing the show. The unfeeliness of death and then there's more sort of unfeelingness of uh, of nature or death that the turkey's killing the weakest there's a a great story that Kaya recounts Jodie had said that if a bird becomes different from others disfigured or wounded it is more likely to attract a predator so the rest of the flock will kill it which is better than drawing in an eagle who might take one of them in the bargain and then she carries on she ducked lower behind the half wall of the porch as the footsteps moved closer these are the boys that are uh, tagging her hut, who think she's just trash. The flames flickered madly, then went out altogether, as five boys, maybe 13 or 14 years old, ran across the yard. All talking stopped as they galloped full speed to the porch and tagged the door with their palms, making slapping sounds. Every smack, a stab in the turkey hen's heart. So she feels very much like like this turkey. And she, she draws a lot of uh, her knowledge from nature. And then there's a a part where these fireflies eat each other very cleverly. Suddenly, Kaya sat up and paid attention. One of the females had changed her code. First, she flashed the proper sequence of dashes and dots, attracting a male of her species, and they mated. Then she flickered a different signal and a male of a different species flew to her. Reading her message, the second male was convinced he would found a willing female of his own kind and hovered above her to mate. But suddenly, the female firefly reached up, grabbed him with her mouth, and ate him, chewing all six legs and both wings. Kai watched others. The females got what they wanted, first a mate, then a meal, just by changing their signals. Kai knew judgment, had no place here. Evil was not in play, just life passing on, even at the expense of some of the players. Biology sees right and wrong as the same colour in different light. And then there's a lot on wealth. For example, she doesn't have shoes when she goes to school, when she goes into the restaurant. So there was definitely this, this big divide. And education... I can coo like a dove even better than them with all their fine shoes, she says. She feels like she's getting an education out in the wilds amongst the marsh. There's a lot of um, themes of fatherhood. So obviously Kaya's pa is absent, and that's a stark contrast with Tate's father. For example, when they're, they're cooking burgers together, there's some lovely interactions between Tate and Scupper. Quote, pulling off yellow boots in the mudroom, Scupper asked, You tired of burgers? Never tired of burgers. And then they sit and they, they cook burgers together. It's a very, very sweet father son relationship. And parenthood in general is very different between the two. Kaya feels threatened by boys. She's overheard her mother talking to her older sisters about boys. She kind of feels like they're threatening, whereas Tate is taught to respect poetry opera and women quote his dad had told him many times that the definition of a real man is one who cries without shame reads poetry with his heart feels opera in his soul and does what's necessary to defend a woman um i've mentioned class already when they go into the the restaurant there's this great quote Um, Quote, As Parr opened the door, every customer paused mid-bite. A few men nodded faintly at Parr. The women frowned and turned their heads. One snorted, well, they probably can't read the shirt and shoes required. (laughs) And then Johnny Lane calling uh, to Kaya, uh, just the character Johnny Lane, basically calls the swamp trash. Another theme is guilt. So Tate feels strong guilt about the car accident I've already mentioned. And then Parr... Aya's father feels very guilty about his role in the war. Quote... Jake hunched in a corner, that's her father, too scared to move, this is in the war. But a mortar exploded, yellow-white, just beyond the hole, shattering the bones of his left leg into fragments. When the soldiers tumbled back into the trench, dragging the sergeant, they assumed Jake had been hit while helping the others rescue their comrade. He was declared a hero no one would ever know except Jake. None of the characters know except us and Jake. Um... And then the, the narrator goes on to say that his drink problem is quote trying to leave that foxhole in a shot glass. Another theme, obviously, is abandonment. Um, Kai's mother, then her sisters, then Jody, then Pa, then Tate abandon her, and she's trying to seek for reasons all the time. And she she tries to find um, reasons in nature. When Jody's consoling her, Jody says, "Ama don't leave her kids. It ain't in them." And Kaya says, you told me that foxes leave babies. Jodie says, yeah, but that vixen got her leg all torn up. She'd starve to death if she tried to feed herself and her kits. She was better off to leave him, heal herself up, than welp more when she could raise him good. Ma ain't starving, she'll be back. Jodie wasn't nearly as sure as he sounded, but said it for Kaya. Quote Alone for hours By the light of the lantern Kaya read how plants And animals change over time To adjust to the ever-shifting earth How some cells divide And specialise into lungs or heart While others remain uncommitted As stem cells In case they are needed later She goes on But then within all the worlds of biology She searched for an explanation Of why a mother would leave her offspring So she's, she's desperately trying To search that answer As to why she was abandoned Nature of course Is all the way through The first half Um It's therapeutic. It consoles her when she's left by Jake. Quote, She didn't note the time of moonrise or when a great horned owl took a diurnal dive at a blue jay. From bed she heard the marsh beyond in the lifting of blackbird wings but didn't go to it. She heard from the crying songs of the girls above the beach calling to her but for the first time in her life did not go to them. She hoped the pain from ignoring them would displace the tear in her heart. It did not suddenly the sun full bright and glaring struck her face never in her life had she slept until midday she heard a soft rustling sound and raising herself onto her elbow saw a raven sized cooper's hawk standing on the other side of the screen door peering in for the first time in days an interest stirred in her she roused herself as the hawk took wing finally she made a mush of hot water and grits and headed to the beach to feed the gulls when she broke onto the beach all of them swirled and dived in flurries and she dropped to her knees and tossed the food on the sand as they crowded around her she felt Their feathers brushing her arms and thighs, threw her head back, smiling with them, even as tears streamed her cheeks. So, nature here is very therapeutic. And also, nature is treated as a kind of education. For example, she thought she knew all about mating from watching doves. No one had ever told her about sex and her only experience with foreplay had been with Tate, but she knew the details from her biology books. Even male birds wooed the females for a while, flashing brilliant feathers, building bowers, staging magnificent dances and love songs. Yes, Chase had laid out a banquet, but she was worth more than fried chicken and, quote, Dixie didn't count as a love song. She should have known it would be like this. Um, and there's also a bit of dramatic irony. I mentioned this before. So there's lots of times when we know something but a character doesn't. So Pa's guilt, for example, and Tate visiting Kaya, but her not knowing um, as he decides, you know, she's just not for me. Anyway, really interesting book. I'm really looking forward to um, reading the second half, to find out how the murder proceeds and whether kaya is going to be implicated i'm sure she will but how she's going to get off hopefully and um find love thank you for listening i look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks bye